Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you are a first-time guest with us this morning, this past year, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And for the past couple of weeks, we have taken a a quick break from that to, to talk about the ideas of joy and expressiveness in worship. But this morning, we are jumping right back into our series here. Now, before I read our text, uh, I want to begin with just a few introductory comments for us this morning. In this text, or this, this past this morning, I, I think is, is one of the most misunderstood and, and difficult to understand texts in all the Bible. And one of the reasons for this is that Paul is going to be speaking very directly to some customs and practices that were very common in the first century, but are very foreign to us in our own culture. In this text, Paul references head coverings and the lengths of men and women's hair, um, and all these things are are foreign to us and are going to sound a little strange to us as we read this passage. Um, But in this text, Paul references these things. And God has much for us in these things. Um, But, again, we might find some of the cultural differences to be a little confusing. Um, But while it's confusing, again, God has much for us in this. Um, And so this text is not only hard to understand, but in addition to that, uh, it's also a text that people can often struggle with or even take offense to. The reason for this is that this text speaks to some cultural differences, but also speaks to many hot-button topics of our day today. Paul is going to be talking about the roles of men and women in the church. He's going to be talking about ideas like authority and submission. He's going to be talking about gender distinctions and and dress on Sunday morning gatherings. You know, just just lighthearted topics for us this morning, right? Um, But we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? And Paul has not been shying away from difficult topics. And it's been good over these past several months to engage and talk over difficult things together. We had a little break from that, like I was saying over the past two weeks, right? Because two weeks ago, we spoke about joy and how Christ is king and has freed us to have life and joy in him. And then last week, we talked about expressiveness of worship and how we can express that joy in our worship and all of life. Uh, but here this morning, we're back in our series, and we're talking about head coverings and hair length. <laughs> now, I say that in jest, right, because, because this is the word of God. It's not a text that we should shy away from. It's not a text that we should be embarrassed about. It's a text that, that we should not breeze over quickly and say, well, wow, that was, that was hard to understand. No, 1 Corinthians 11 is the word of God. It is necessary for life and joy and godliness. So even if, even if it, it takes a good amount of work to this morning to understand these truths, And even if these truths might challenge us a little bit and and cause us to feel uncomfortable at first, we can have confidence that this is the word of God and that it is true and that it is good and that it is needed for us this morning. So let's not check out of this message early this morning if it seems hard to understand or if it seems culturally narrow to us. Instead, let us lean into God's word together this morning because God really does want to affect our lives through his word. Okay, that was a little bit longer of an intro than normal, but let's, let's jump into our passage this morning. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen above me as well. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. Now I commend you because you're remembering me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man, Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a man was made, for as a woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. If you've been following the world news over the past couple of weeks, you've probably heard about the story of uh, Masha Amani, this young woman who was visiting with her family to the city of Iran when she was detained by the police for not wearing a head covering, which by law she would have been required to do in that city. And shortly after she was taken into police custody, she was sent to a hospital where she would later die from a coma. And the details of the story are not known. The family is claiming that she was beaten by the police. The police are claiming that she uh, had a heart attack in their custody. We don't know the details of this, but this is a tragic story. And it's a tragic story that comes in the wake of a long history of abuse and violence towards women in Iran. In the past couple of weeks, after this event, women in Iran have been in the streets burning their head coverings and cutting their hair short in protest to this event. Now I share this story because in light of these events, it it brings a surprising relevance to our passage this morning, which centers around a few verses that directly speak to head coverings and hair length. And so even as as we grieve with the family of this young woman, and as we, as we share in the anger towards abuse, towards women throughout history, we, we come to passages like this, and we ask ourselves, what does this mean? Like, how does this passage fit into our understanding of a God who loves and cherishes women and values women and men equally? And what in the world does this passage have to do with us today? Well, to answer these questions, we're going to have to dig deep into the culture of the first century. We're going to have to dig deep into the the meaning of some Greek words here. We're we're going to have to work hard at at understanding the flow of Paul's argument here. And as we do this, 
We're going to see this passage is, is not really about head coverings or hair length. This passage is about how we as a church honor God and honor one another by, by celebrating and relating to one another according to how God has made us as men and women in his image. The main idea of our passage this morning is this. We honor God in our worship by honoring the distinctions in manhood and womanhood. We honor God in our worship by honoring the distinctions in manhood and womanhood. We have three points for us this morning. First, the meaning of the head coverings. Second, the importance of gender distinctions. And third, the honoring of God with our lives. So first, the meaning of head coverings. The, the main thrust of this passage revolves around verses four and five, which, which speaks to what men and women should and should not wear in the worship service in the church of Corinth. Verses four through five. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now we're gonna talk a lot more about what this means, but it's helpful to know that in this chapter, chapter 11, uh, Paul is beginning a new section in the book where he's gonna be doing a lot of talking about how the church should act when they are together during a Sunday morning gathering, similar to what we're doing right now. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna hear Paul talking about the Lord's Supper. The week after that, Paul's gonna be talking about spiritual gifts and how we serve one another with them. And then after that, come that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where we talk about what it looks like for us to love one another. And, and all these passages are speaking to, to matters relating to corporate worship, and just like we're doing right now. And, and in this text this morning, Paul is, address, is addressing a concern that he had in the church of Corinth. The concern he has, as he talks about in verse five, is that there were married women in the church who were, who were participating in the church service without wearing head coverings, which would, been, which would have been the, the cultural norm for them to do. Now, two questions for us. What are these head coverings, and what significance did they have in that culture? Well, as far as what they were, I did a whole lot of reading this past week on first century head coverings, more than I ever thought I would do in my entire life. And after doing all that reading, uh, I'm still not exactly sure what these things were. It's just not that clear. Uh, probably the, the most educated guess is that it was some type of a shawl. Uh, more than likely, it, it was not a veil uh, that covered faces like we see in, in Muslim culture, uh, because face coverings were not common in, in Greco-Roman culture. Uh, so probably what it was was a, a small wraparound scarf-like garment uh, that would be placed on the head. Uh, and these head coverings would be worn by, by married women as an expression uh, both of their femininity and as an expression of their marital status. Uh, and in this culture, for a, for a married woman not to wear a head covering would actually have been a statement of, of sexual availability and a sign that she was not married at all. Um, and, and there were women in the church in Corinth who were, who were doing this. And, and honestly, we, we don't have a, a culturally equivalent example of a situation like this in our own day. Uh, but it could have been somewhat similar to, you know, for example, a, a married woman uh, in our church participating in the service, maybe coming up to the prophecy mic there, uh, and doing so dressed intentionally provocatively 
and doing so intentionally not wearing her wedding ring. That's kind of an example, kind of, a, kind of what, it's not a perfect comparison, uh, but it kind of helps us to get an idea of what was happening here in this church. And now we have to ask ourselves, what was the motivation behind some of the women in this church disregarding this cultural norm? Well, again, we don't know for sure, uh, but a lot of the commentators suggest it had something to do with a women's liberation movement that was happening at this time. Apparently, uh, in the culture, outside of the church, uh, it would have been somewhat socially acceptable for men and for husbands to have a mistress on the side and even to, even to, to have relations with, with temple prostitutes. Um, however, women, in stark contrast to this, it would have been absolutely unacceptable for them to do the same thing. And so within this, this morally corrupt aspect of the culture, there was this double standard that gave men the freedom to be promiscuous, but which shamed women for doing the same thing. And the, and the way that women were shamed would have been publicly, they would, they would have had their hair cut short or shaved as, as a symbol of their sexual immorality. And so there's this, there's this women's liberation movement happening where women were removing their head coverings and were cutting their hair short as, this, as a statement that, that if men were able to live in sexual scandal, then women should be allowed to do the same thing. And so it seems probable that this movement was a part of the motivation for some of the married women in the church of Corinth doing the same thing. And if that really is part of what was going on here, then that's a, that's a really kind of complicated scenario, right? Because on one hand, it, it does seem that in this culture, at least outside of the church, there really were this, this double standards for, for women and, and a devaluing of women in them. And so certainly it is, it is good to seek for change in the culture when things like this are happening. But the issue here that Paul is addressing is, is a complicated issue because the women in the church who, who are rebelling against the culture by joining in the immorality of that culture. And now, now let me say here that this does not mean that Paul was unconcerned with the proper protection and valuing of women in that day. In fact, we see that in this very passage, we see that Paul's teaching would have been liberating for women in that church, in that culture. It's actually interesting in this passage that women were being encouraged to openly pray and prophesy during the gatherings. And, and the fact that women had freedom to worship in the church of Corinth would have been a scandalous thing in the culture of that day. It would have been in, in sharp contrast to the, the Jewish synagogue worship where women were not seen as full members and they were required to sit behind a veil during the worship service. But then here in, in verses 11 through 12, we're gonna see that Paul is actually promoting the full value and interdependence of men and women in the worship service. So, so nowhere in the Bible, in Paul's teaching or, or anywhere else, does it teach that, that women are inferior to men. In fact, throughout the Bible, and Jesus himself particularly, was continually resisting a culture that believed that women were inferior. The, the rise of Christianity brought about in many ways in that day liberation of women and valuing of women and holding them up in society as worthy of honor and dignity in a culture that saw them as less than men. And so this passage 
is not a passage dis, uh, encouraging the discrimination against women. Instead, we see men and women being equally valued and honored. But at the same time, we also see distinctions between men and women that are important to God and should be important to us as a church as well. And this leads us to our second point, the importance of gender distinctions. In verse six, Paul continues the point that he's making, and again, there's, there's a lot of cultural expressions here that we're gonna have to parse through in, in order to, to find the, the universal truth for us today, but, but stay with me as we, as we follow Paul's argument here. Verses six through 10 says, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now here, Paul is drawing our attention to another meaning behind the head coverings that were worn in the culture in the church in Corinth. It seems that head coverings not not only represent a wife's womanhood, not only represent her her status as a married woman, but also uh, was a way for a married woman to express her willingness to follow the God-given leadership of her husband. Now you might be asking, how did I get that out of these verses? Well, we get that because we see that, that Paul is making a connection between the head coverings and the creation account all the way back in the second chapter of Genesis, where God made Adam and Eve, and he, and he gave them distinct roles as men and women, right? We, uh, we see um, back in this creation account, all the way back in, in Genesis chapter two, that, that verses eight and nine are, are referencing Genesis chapter two, where, where God created Adam, and he gave them responsibility to tend the earth and to have oversight over all that God had made, But then God looks at Adam, right? And he says, this is not good that he is alone, right? So then verse 18 says, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so in this creation account, we see that part of God's design for men and women, and particularly in the context of marriage, is for men to have authority and responsibility to lead and to use his gifts and strengths to serve this world. And he also, God gave Eve the role of helping her husband and using her gifts and strengths to support and follow that leadership. And so we see in Genesis, God-given distinctions of manhood and womanhood. And we see the, the different roles that God has given to us. And then in the New Testament, it speaks of how these roles are to be understood in the context of the church and in the marriage and in the home. In 1 Timothy and in, in the book of Titus, we see that preaching and teaching and, 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 and eldership within the local church is a responsibility that God has called men to fulfill, which is why here at our church, uh, we have a pastoral team made up of men. And this calling we don't see as, as a cultural thing, but it, it is rooted in God's design in creation. And we see this design has applications in marriage as well. Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And these distinctions in manhood and womanhood is exactly what Paul is talking about in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 11. In fact, in verse 3, Paul uses the exact same language of headship as we just saw in Ephesians 5. Verse 3 says, By one you understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now the word head that is used here in the Greek is the word kephale. And in Greek, whenever this word kephale is used uh, in reference to the relationship between two people, it always carries with the idea of, of authority and, and leadership. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's summarizing the idea we see throughout Scripture that the husband is given the authority and the responsibility to lead and to love just as Christ has loved us, and that wives are given the calling to submit to and follow that leadership just as we submit to Christ. And Paul is calling the church to see the good in these things, to value these things as a church. And what I want to say here is, is it is so important to see that this, that this idea of headship has nothing to do with value and dignity, which is something that I think can cause us to, to struggle with this idea. We, we know that headship has nothing to do with valuing men over women. And we know this because these very roles of leadership and submission is seen in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Verse three says that Christ himself submitted to the authority of his Father. Christ, in obedience to his Father, laid his life down for us on the cross. And God the Father is not superior to or more valued than God the Son. But it was through God sending his Son into the world and his Son willingly submitting to the Father even to the point of death on the cross that they accomplished our redemption. And this is not about worth. The Father and the Son are equal in glory, equally valued, equal worthy of our praise and our honor and our, and our worthiness. But, but for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of our salvation, they, they operated together in different roles for our salvation. And these truths are rooted in the very gospel that our joy and salvation are dependent upon. Submission is a, is a reflection of God. That's why it is good and beautiful that's why it is not demeaning. And authority is also a reflection of God. And it's never about self-assertion, but about sacrifice. Not enslaving, but liberating. Not about pride, but about love. Christ joyfully submitted to the Father. And now we willingly and lovingly follow Christ who has proven his love for us and leads with, with wisdom and kindness and servanthood. And Paul saying that these things are good and beautiful and should be reflected in the church and within marriages. God has created men and women equal in value, 
and dignity and worth, but he's made us distinct in that manhood and womanhood. And in that distinction, particularly within marriage and within the church, God has given men the responsibility to lead and love. He's given women the call to follow and support that leadership. And all these distinctions are important to God. They are reflections, in fact, of the gospel itself. That's why Paul wants the church to hold to these things and to value them as God values them. That's, that's why Paul is writing about these things to this church. The, the whole reason that Paul is talking about head coverings and hair lengths and all these things that, that sound strange to us is it, it seems that there was this movement in the church and the culture of the church that was, that was devaluing some of these things that were important to God. And they were acting and, and dressing in such a way that, that demonstrated disregard for the distinctions in manhood and womanhood. And Paul's saying, I want you to value these things. I want you to see the good in these truths. I want you to live in such a way that puts the goodness on display to the world around you. And church, God wants that for us as well. Okay, so how do we do that? Right, we, just, we just spent a lot of time talking about first century culture and customs that we don't fully understand. We spent a lot of time thinking through this complicated argument of Paul. And the whole point of this is so that we can ask the question, God, what do you have for us in this? How are you calling for us to live in light of these truths? And that's where I wanna end this morning with point three, the, the honoring of God with our lives. Church, it is, is becoming more and more evident that the, the culture of our day is moving further and further away from the values of many of the things that we are talking about this morning. I'm not talking about cultural applications of these things because those are gonna look different, right? And that's okay. I'm talking about the, the valuing of the distinctions in manhood and womanhood and how our, our culture is moving towards a, a blurring of these distinctions and, and a rejection of the importance of them. I think that this is particularly true when it comes to the roles of men and women in the church and in marriage. And I think that one of the reasons that our culture is bucking so hard against these values is how poorly they have been demonstrated throughout history, both inside and outside the church. The, the idea of headship and authority is seen as a destructive thing in our culture. And this is because men have so often used their strength and their position for selfish gain. And this has led to harsh leadership and to abuse and to the devaluing of women in our culture. There's a long history in the world of leadership and authority that has taken advantage of women, that has suppressed their rights, that has objectified them. And while in some ways I think progress has been made in our culture, there is still a lot of progress that needs to happen because the track record has not been good. And so when we see on the news reports of, of women in Iran burning their head coverings, cutting their hair short, that sadly makes sense to us, right? Headship and leadership has very often gone very wrong. I think the blame falls not only on men in our culture. Even back in Genesis, we see that, that one of the results of the fall was, was Eve's tendency to resist 
Adam's leadership, to undermine it, to find ways to, to domineer over him. And I, I think that in culture, in TV shows, in marriages, male leadership is disrespected. And the idea of it is seen as something that should be resisted. But church, we need to find a better way than this. We need to be honoring God by honoring one another, by walking in obedience to Christ, by appreciating the distinctions in how we are made and the the roles that are given to us as men and women and, and operating in these roles in godliness and in love and wisdom. Wayne Grudem says this. He says, Christians should live in such a way that shows that biblical manhood and womanhood is beautiful, that it is the context in which men and women flourish as the creator intended. And what we need to do is we need to find culturally appropriate ways to do this. And this is what Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to do. Verses 13 and 15, he says, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not, does not nature teach it, you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Right? And again, this, this sounds so strange to us, right? But, but Paul is just saying, consider the culture that you're in. Understand how manhood and womanhood is expressed in that culture. And, and, and don't carry yourself in a way that's going to blur those distinctions or, or bring dishonor to the good of those distinctions. And in Corinth, when women were participating in the church, they, they wore head coverings. And this was a wives' way of saying, I'm a woman, I'm married, and, and I'm happy to respect and follow my husband and joyfully accept the order of relationship that God has established for men and women. And in that culture, men wore their hair short and women wore their hair long, right? This was a way for them to display the God-given distinctions between men and women, and this was a good thing. But the, the way that culture expresses these things is very different, right? I mean, that, that's why in our church, it's totally acceptable for women to participate without head coverings. It's totally acceptable for men to come with their head covering, wearing hats. I've, I've seen eagles' hats on this morning, and, and while I might have a personal issue with that because I cannot stand the eagles, uh, I have no theological issue with that, right? And that's because in our culture today, at least generally speaking, it doesn't signify anything if men choose to wear hats or not, or, or hairstyles are much more varied in our day today, right? And that's fine, right? There's, there's no mandate here for all cultures. 1 Corinthians 11 is not really about head coverings or hair lengths. It's about finding culturally relevant ways to demonstrate the distinctions between manhood and womanhood. And there are ways that we can do that today in our own culture. I think that it is appropriate here to to talk about style of dress even in our own culture when it comes to these things. I, I think there are applications to be made here. Do we seek to to dress in a way that the, the culturally generally understands as masculine or feminine. And I know that in many ways those, those lines are being blurred in our culture, but I think just recognizing there's something good and right about considering our appearance and making an effort to dress in a masculine way or a feminine way, and in that way we can highlight the beauty of God's design of making male and female. I think there's also application here to to modesty of dress, 
which I know is another sensitive issue, but, but just dressing in a way that demonstrates the sacredness of our sexuality. If you're married, dressing in a way which, which honors your spouse. And, and married or not, uh, dressing in a way that does not draw excessive attention to ourselves, particularly in a sexual way. And this would be true for men and for women alike. And again, of course, modesty of dress is a, is a very culturally defined thing, right? Like how modesty is, is generally understood is very different here in America compared to uh, tr- uh, tribes in Africa, compared to the streets in the Middle East, right? And, and even here in America, uh, modesty looks different given the setting that you're in. If you're going to the beach, or if you're participating as an Olympic diver, or you're going to a funeral, like, I mean, modesty is going to look different in these scenarios, right? Um, and there's no hard and fast rules here. This is not the main point that Paul is making. But it's just good and right to consider these things as we live our lives together. And as a final application here this morning, I think the one that Paul is most directly calling us toward is the honoring of manhood and womanhood in marriage. Husbands, God has called you to lead. And you ought not to shy away from that calling, but you should embrace it. And in embracing it, you should make every effort to love your wife and to love your family as Christ has loved the church. And that is a radical calling. To be a servant, to take initiative, to lead, to lay down your life in pursuit of the good of your wife and your family. This is what Christ has done for us. And men, you are called to do this in your marriages. And wives, there's a call to to honor the calling that God has given to your husbands. To imitate the example of Christ in, in willingness to follow. In willingness to support the leadership of your husbands. To joyfully and wisely walk in obedience to God in these things. But these things are good, but they are difficult tasks, right? We need God's help in these things. And, and for marriages, maybe as a, as a step towards these things, it means taking this message as an opportunity to talk about these things. And how are these things playing out in your marriage? Do you even agree on these things together in marriage? How are they playing out in the family? In church, for all of us, married or not married, let us hold and honor the values that God has put forward for us. These things matter to God. They are close to the heart of the gospel. And it matters how we think about these things and how we live these things out in the culture of our own day. Let us be a church that honors God in these things. Amen.